We turn this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2 and begin reading at verse 18, reading through verse 25 in Jesus' name. Last few Sundays we looked at called to salvation, called to service, and now probably not everyone's favorite subject, called to suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. As servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who died for our sins. You took our place on that cross. You bore the the penalty of our sin, uh, dying and rising again, that we might be forgiven. And we praise you for that. And we also thank you, O God, that you died for us, Lord Jesus, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by your wounds... We have been healed. And so, Father, take now the words that, that we have read and that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. And would you pl- apply them, Lord, to our lives today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you looked at some of my artwork, um, you would not know that I come from a family of artists. Okay? My uh, couple uncles were artists by occupation. They actually made money being artists. I have cousins who also were artists. And my mom's side of the family, they all worked with their hands. So they all could paint and carpentry and mechanics and artists. And they were very, very gifted artistically. Somehow I didn't get that because when I draw something, it's, uh, stick figures, and when the grandkids see what I've drawn, they say, Grandpa, what's that? It's like, what do you mean, what's that? You don't even know what I've that, That's my artistic ability. Well, my mom's sister, she was good at drawing um, people's heads. And so she would draw a head, and then I would try and copy it. And I looked at what she drew, and I looked at what I drew, and it's just like, They did not at all look like the same thing. So she said, here's what we'll do. 
So she drew, drew a, a head figure, and then she took a thin piece of paper, placed it on top, and then I traced over it. Mine looked a lot better when I followed the pattern that she had given for me. This is the picture that we see in our text in verse 21 with the word example. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Uh, the, the word, is, the Greek word is hupagraman, which means literally under writing. And it was used to describe how a pupil, a student, would copy the maybe a letter of the alphabet and maybe trace over that letter in the alphabet to learn how to write that letter. So something was underneath it and that became the pattern for the student to learn how to write letters, for example. So Jesus then is our pattern and he's our pattern when it comes to suffering. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So what, in what way is Jesus our pattern in suffering? If you look at this passage of Scripture, I'd suggest there's three ways. First of all, Jesus suffered for doing what is right. He suffered for doing what is right. If there was ever an example of someone who suffered for doing what is right, it had to be Jesus. And as you read through Peter's letter here, this is something you can't miss because he repeats that thought over and over. Chapter 1, verse 19, he describes Jesus as a lamb without blemish or without defect. Chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus is the righteous one who died for the unrighteous. Verse 22 of our text today, uh, Peter says that Jesus was the one who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And what's important to remember that this epistle is written by one who had spent a lot of time with Jesus. Peter had walked with Jesus almost daily for over three years. And there was never a time, not a single time, where Peter ever saw Jesus do something that was wrong because he was the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. So when Jesus suffered, it was always and only for the sake of righteousness. Now, if you read through this epistle, you will notice how often Peter says that if we are going to suffer, it also ought to be for the sake of righteousness. There's no glory in suffering for doing what is wrong because we deserve it, right? Notice how Peter emphasizes this. Chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So if you're going to be slandered by others... It better be for what is right. better be for what is good. Chapter 3, verse 16, Keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God so wills it that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So why does he mention this over and over? Why is this such a, uh, an important point that he wants to drive home? If you are going to suffer, it had better be for the sake of righteousness. I think one reason is because we have a a tendency to bring suffering upon ourselves for our sin, right? I I think of a a man who uh, went to the hospital and visited a man who had had just a heart attack. And he, you know, shared with him and then he left. And when he came back to the hospital, the next time to see this guy, there was a note on the door not to let him in. So he calls up his pastor and he says, I'm suffering for the sake of righteousness. I'm being persecuted as a Christian. Well, you know what he did? Here's this guy laying in the hospital, you know, oxygen in his nose and he's... You know, I just had a heart attack, and he, he comes in there, and he starts talking with them, and he says, you know what, there have been five guys in our church who have had heart attacks in the last couple of years, and they all died. And the guy's laying there, he said, they, they all died? Not one of them lived? No, he started naming them off, you know, Fred and Joe and Bill, and, you know, they all died. Well, there was a nurse that was watching this and she said to her fellow nurses this guy cannot come back in this room again (laughs) and so the note well he said pastor I'm being persecuted for being a Christian I'm suffering for the sake of righteousness well when this pastor discovered What the real issue was, he told me, said, you are not suffering for the sake of righteousness. You are suffering because of your stupidity. You are suffering for the sake of your sin. I mean, you, you brought it upon yourself. That's not what you do when someone's lying in the hospital after a heart attack. Tell them all the people that died from heart attacks. And maybe that's why Peter has to emphasize this over and over, that if you're going to suffer... Don't let it be because you brought it on yourself. Suffer for the sake of righteousness. And that pleases God, doesn't it? If we're willing to stand for truth, we're willing to suffer for the sake of doing what is right, that's what Jesus did, right? That's what He did. So if we're going to follow His example, Jesus suffered for doing what is right. The second thing Peter mentions here, Jesus suffered... Without retaliating. If you look at the final hours of Jesus' life before he died on the cross, you see how many times and in many different ways he suffered. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter denied that he knew him, not just once, but three times. 
Peter, James, and John fell asleep when Jesus needed them in the Garden of Gethsemane. False witnesses accused him. Some of the Sanhedrin spit on him. Others slapped him. Some struck him with their fists. Pilate scourged him. The crowd cried, crucify him. The soldiers stripped him and mocked him and spit on him and hit him and put a crown of thorns on his head. The robbers heaped insults on him. And that's just some of what Jesus went through those last few days before he died on the cross. And besides all the physical pain that Jesus endured, think of the spiritual the emotional pain he went, went through, forsaken by the Father. He bore the sins of the world, and he had done absolutely nothing wrong. There is no one who has ever suffered like Jesus. I remember as a child, hearing the story of, uh, of Jesus being beaten and spit upon and a crown of thorn on his head. And I remember asking my mom and dad, why did he let them do that? Why didn't he strike them? Why didn't he get them back? I thought that was justice, right? That Jesus should have struck them back. Well, Jesus could have responded with judgment. And he would have been perfectly just in doing so. Listen to what Jesus told Peter when Jesus was arrested. Matthew 26, verse 51, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. You know who that was? That's Peter. I don't think he was going for the ear. I think he was going for the neck. And he missed, just got the ear. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? And so Jesus, He could have responded with judgment. He could have called upon these angels and destroyed those who had mocked him and beat him and spit upon him and crucified him. In fact, he showed them a little bit of his power when, when they came to arrest Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And what happened? They all fell to the ground. I mean, he could have obviously dealt with them, but he didn't. While being reviled... He didn't revile in return. Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. Why? Jesus knew what his mission was. His mission was to give His life for the sins of the world. And He willingly submitted Himself to fulfill that mission. He suffered without retaliating. And Peter says, if you are going to follow in His steps, that's what it means. That you don't retaliate when someone wrongs you. He gives an example of 
this with servants in relationship to their masters. Now, we don't have slaves today. I suppose we could apply this on the job. Maybe you feel like you're a slave on the job, but not really. So, what does he say? Verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Well, that goes against the flesh, doesn't it? How many times have you heard someone say, They do not deserve my respect. They have not earned my respect. Peter says that doesn't matter, even if they're unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Then he says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And he says, you've been called for this purpose because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Now, when you think of what Peter says here, you might be tempted to say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. (laughs) How do you expect me to live like Jesus? How do you expect me to respond like Jesus? Well, Peter answers that. Verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, okay, that's purpose, right? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So what's Peter saying here? He's saying that the power to follow the example of Jesus is in what he has done for us on the cross. When he died for our sins, he not only forgave us, but he empowers us to live in such a way that brings honor to Him. He says, you used to be sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd. And since we've returned to the shepherd, Jesus died so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin. Die to that fleshly desire. When someone wrongs us, we are going to get them back. (laughs) Right? Not as bad as they got us, but worse, right? We are going to let them have it. You punch me, I'm going to punch you. And look out, it might even be harder than you punched me. Well, there's examples of people in Scripture who followed this pattern. Think of David. Saul had tried to kill him, right? Pin him to the wall with a spear. And David had two opportunities to take Saul's life. And his men were saying, do it, do it. This is God's plan. And David said, no. This is God's anointed. I cannot touch God's anointed. He refused to retaliate. How about Joseph? Sold by your brothers into slavery. And then you get the opportunity in your position in Egypt to get back at them. He did not. He refused to retaliate. Here's Stephen, right? Being stoned to death. What did he say? Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. 
That's dying to sin, right? That is living to righteousness. And that can only happen through the power of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Because when we know Him as our Savior, not only are our sins forgiven, but God works in us in such a way that we die to those desires. Not perfectly, but those desires to retaliate. And yet, you know what? Many adults, we adults, we act like little children when we've been wronged. Uh, Jennifer Schultz in Our Daily Bread said, I'd been driving for almost half an hour when my daughter suddenly wailed from the back seat. I don't know if you parents have ever had that happen. When I asked what happened, she said her brother grabbed her arm. And then he said he grabbed her arm because she had pinched him. And then she said she had pinched him because he said something mean. Can you picture that? Those of you who have had younger children, I can absolutely picture that happening in our van, right? So what do you do? Threaten, I'm going to pull this van over to the side of the road and you're going to wish you had never acted that way, right? (laughs) So she goes on to say, unfortunately, this pattern, which is common between children, can show up in adult relationships too. One person offends another, and the hurt person shouts back a verbal blow. The original offender retaliates with another assault. Before long, anger and cruel words have damaged the relationship. And you know what? It is so easy to do that nowadays, because you can just type it, right? On your phone, on your computer, and you can get involved in... You know, this back and forth so everybody can see it on Facebook. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to just become this, you know, back and forth retaliator. That's not the way a, a Christian ought to live, is it? No. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. The third thing we notice is that Jesus suffered trusting in the righteous judge. The righteous judge. When Jesus suffered because of unrighteous men, He found refuge in the righteousness of His Father. Look at verse 23. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. And here's the key. But He kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges Righteously. Now, there's a couple of ways in which Jesus acknowledged his father as the righteous judge. For one thing, Jesus knew that sin had to be punished, right? And because he was taking the sinner's place on the cross, he handed himself over to be crucified. In the cross, He saw the righteous judge judging righteously. And he willingly submitted himself to the Father's will. Right? Jesus knew sin had to be paid for. And he took that sin upon himself and entrusted himself to the righteous judge who at the cross judged our sins righteously. Sin had to be paid for. 
But there's another sense in which Jesus acknowledged the Father as the righteous judge. Because Jesus was sinless. He knew that the righteous judge would vindicate him as righteous. Jesus would be raised from the dead. He would be seated at the right hand of the Father. And he would rule and reign throughout all eternity. And so there was no need for Jesus to take matters into his own hands. He could rest in the hands of him who judges righteously. It's interesting how Peter describes this. He says that Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's a good translation because that is a present tense. It's not describing one event. But it's describing the ongoing life and ministry of Jesus was that of keeping on entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done, entrusting himself to the Father. And with each new wave of abuse, Jesus continued. He kept on entrusting himself to the righteous judge, to the one who judges righteously. And think of the final expression of this trust. It's seen in what Jesus said when he died. Luke 23, verse 46. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands, right? I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And so the confidence that Jesus had in the Father's righteous judgment is the confidence that we need to stand upon today. I think of Paul while he's sitting in a Roman prison, right? Ready to die. Knows that his time is short. And he describes himself as being like a drink offering. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And then listen to what he says. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Now think of what the time in which Paul said this. There was nothing righteous about what Paul was experiencing as he wrote these words. He was being judged under an unrighteous judge. The Roman emperor, right? Sentenced to death. But you see, Paul lived with eternity in view. He believed that God would vindicate him. The righteous judge would give him the crown of righteousness. And that's why throughout his life he continued to to fight the good fight and finish the race and keep the faith because he was living with eternity in view. That the righteous judge would give to him the crown of righteousness. It clearly wasn't easy for Paul, nor was it easy for Jesus. But when you live with the conviction that God is a righteous judge, you don't feel the need then to take it into your own hands, right? You're going to make this right. 
You're going to correct this situation. You're going to turn that wrong into right. You're going to make that person pay for what they did to you. You keep on entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. I don't know if you remember back in 2004 when Chechen rebels massacred hundreds of people held hostage in a school in Beslan, Russia. And many of the victims were children, including six belonging to two brothers, the Totiev brothers, who were involved in Christian ministry. And one of the brothers reacted in a way that most people would say is impossible. He said, yes, we have an irreplaceable loss, but we cannot take revenge. He believed what the Lord says in Romans 12:19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So are you entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously? There is freedom in living that way, isn't there? There's freedom in saying, Lord, you will take care of this. Lord, you will deal with this. I don't have to try and take revenge upon someone who may have wronged me. That's God's business. And God does His business much better than I do. And He will give us the power to entrust ourselves to His righteous judgment. Peter says that Jesus died for us so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds we are healed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there will be times in our lives when we will suffer for the sake of righteousness. And perhaps even more so now as we come closer to that day when Jesus comes again. Oh Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to the, the one who judges righteously. That we would follow the pattern that Jesus gives for us. And live by the power that he provides for us. That he died for our sins. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.